Now that reading from Mark's Gospel, we're near the end of Jesus' ministry in Mark at this point. He's most likely in Jerusalem uh, and right in the early part of this uh, chapter, before we get to, to our reading, he's been tested by the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the temple authorities um, and the Sadducees. They were all, in a sense, ganged up by this point. And none of them have much to do with each other normally, but it's clear at this point that Jesus is the biggest threat and sometimes uh, enemies get together against another enemy. So they test him with all these questions and then we get this. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said, He is one, and beside him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbour as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared ask him any questions. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. And no one did ask him any more questions. Not until the very end when Pilate started to ask him questions that Jesus refused to answer. The first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Really, that is all we need to know, isn't it? If we know this, the oneness of God, then everything else falls into place. If we know the oneness, then this painting kind of makes sense in my reading of it anyway. When we pay attention to this one fundamental truth, when we see that everywhere the structure of life and the universe is all one entity. When we understand that the genetic makeup that we have is so similar to each other and so similar to every other living creature and so similar to plants and to the planet itself. When we understand this, then we understand everything. And it's all the way through the scriptures. This is not some unique statement that Jesus makes. This is the statement that any good Jew would have made. The first commandment is here, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. In the Gospel of John particularly, this is picked up in so many places. 
Those sort of convoluted statements we get in John, like this, the glory that you have given me, this is Jesus praying to God, the glory you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, and I and the Father are one. I am in you and you are in me. Where I am, you will be. You have to kind of read it over and over again because it gets really convoluted. But it's all about the oneness that one thing can't really be distinguished from another. It's central to all of life. We quote the Psalms every Sunday morning when we begin worship. The world belongs to God, the earth and all its people. The Psalms are full of that statement or versions of it. But it turns out we need to be reminded of this because it's too difficult to grasp. It's too extraordinary to understand and to be a part of. It's an extraordinary truth that the world belongs to God. It doesn't belong to Scott Morrison and the other leaders at COP26. It doesn't belong to Rupert Murdoch or Mark Zuckerberg. However powerful these people are or imagine themselves to be. It doesn't even belong to you. If you're fortunate to have a piece of paper that says the house you're living in belongs to you, it didn't used to, and one day you'll be dead and it won't. It's, you're just a passing moment in the long history of that piece of ground, aren't you? You know that. We all know that. This is what indigenous cultures teach us. This is what, if we were to pay attention, indigenous Australians are trying to teach us. They don't own the land. So when we say, we now own this bit of land, to the deepest part of indigenous culture, that makes no sense at all. It's like me saying, well, I own the air that's around me. You know, as soon as I say it, it sounds like an idiot. Of course I don't. I'm not even, where does the air begin and end? It's in me as well as around me. Indigenous people, you know, in the limited way that I'm trying to understand what they're trying to teach us, is that there's a much deeper truth going on. They are somehow understand themselves to be deeply embedded in and a part of the land and the creatures on it. But we don't know this experience. We've divided the world up so much that we find it difficult to believe. And I think that's why we get the second bit of this story. Hear, O Israel, know the Lord your God is, is one. And then it goes on to the bit we shouldn't really need to know because it should be so obvious to us. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Unity should be enough, but, but we somehow need help with that. And all of the commandments stem from this idea of unity. All of the things that, when you look at them, the other ten commandments, they sort of shorthand, the post-it notes of the whole way of being a good Jew. They're all pointing to the simple, straightforward fact. And we need what Jesus adds. And, and love your neighbour as you love yourself. Because, well, your neighbour is you. And if we've never understood that better than during this moment in time when we're having to deal with a climate crisis, it turns out the people doing it over there are, are me doing it here and them doing it, me, me burning fossil fuel here is part of their life over there. You know, we know, now know that we can't pretend anymore. Those things are separate. But we already, we experience this all the time. You try having a profound thought when you've got a terrible toothache. We know that the mind and the body are not things. 
that are somehow separate. We, we, we've used those tools to help us think through things, but then we've be- begun to believe them, and they're not true. So it spells out, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, that, which in ancient culture was the, you know, the seat of your spiritual life, your deep inner being. You, should, you will love God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your emotions and desires. With your mind, all your understanding and your intellect. With your strength, all your body and your power, your willpower. These things are one. They're not separate from each other. But it's almost as if even the ancient Jews were looking at this and thinking, we need this spelt out to us because otherwise we won't know the unity of all these things. And I'm always amazed by this because when it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And then it says, you shall love the Lord. That doesn't seem to me like the, what I would have expected to see happen. Well, what we know about the world of the gods is that it's chaotic, it's dangerous, and the gods don't seem to pay much attention to us. That's so much of ancient culture. So you would expect to hear, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall fear or obey the Lord. But it doesn't. It says, you shall love. Now, we've gotten used to it because we've been reading this for years, but think about it for a minute. How amazing is that? The unity of all things, the way we describe God, that we call that unity God. You will love. It's a whole other way of thinking about the world. What does it mean? You've probably heard, if you've been in church long enough, that the Greeks have four words for love. We've all heard that. Eros, storge, filio, and agape. But I don't think that's true at all. They didn't have four words. They were talking about four different things. Like, we don't have four words for fruit, for example. Apples, oranges, bananas, and cherries. That's... Doesn't make any sense. We have four separate things. Sure, they're connected to each other. They're all part of a, a group called fruit, and we we see some, you know, how they. Can, but but it would be pointless to talk about them as four words for the same thing because they're four different things. And I think that's what's going on here. When we hear in the the scriptures that um, the word for uh, love, when it's speaking of God, is the word agape which is essentially, as far as we can tell um, from the Greek, means basically unconditional love. And you think, well, what other kind of love is there? What would love look like that's conditional? Well, something else, not love. Affection. I have affection for you because you laugh at my jokes and you think I'm good looking and we spend time together and... Not you lot, I mean somebody who might actually think I'm funny and good looking. There's got to be someone in the world, sure, there's billions of us. Um, that's affection, and that's, but that's fairly tentative, and, and it's, and it, you know, and, and in fact you have to work quite hard at it. But that's not, unconditional love is the kind of, the only kind of love, really, isn't it? We know we've experienced it. When we've been accepted by someone without any conditions, without any rules. It's easy to confuse affection with love. 
And they, because they're related, like apples and oranges are related, but they're separate things. So when it says, Hear, O Israel, you, will, you shall love the Lord your God, it is saying that you shall be in unconditional connection with everything that is. You will be so deeply a part of it that like indigenous people who sometimes talk to us, and we use the English language uh, word dreaming, the dreaming, the, which is a very poor way, as I understand it, of it, trying to explain to us the deep connection. When I say, if I was an indigenous man, that I have the, the green ant dreaming, that somehow makes me so deeply connected to the green ant community that we're indistinguishable. And I'm sure if my indigenous friends were here now, they'd just be shaking their head at, at, at the paucity of what I've just said to you. It's, it's not even close. That's the kind of love that's being talked about here. Cornel West, who's one of the great public intellectuals of the, of the late 20th century and, and now the 21st century, is a philosopher, he teaches at all the great universities, he said many years ago, and it's the most powerful thing, I think, that locks all this together, justice is what love looks like in public. So unconditional love isn't my fear. I don't love all of you in the sense that we often use it like affection. I have affection for the people in my family and I have affection for a few others, but I can't have affection for everybody in the world. Even everybody in this congregation, that would be pretty hard to do because some of us know each other well and some of us not so well. How could that be? But if justice is love, then I can be loving everybody if I'm willing to operate justly and I'm willing to participate in justice. It, it gives it sort of strength and muscle, doesn't it? Justice is what love looks like in public. So in other words, justice is is love. It's the simply the connecting together of all things in righteousness, in a right way, as the psalm said, caring for the for those who cannot care for themselves, the stranger, the widow, the orphan. All the things that churches like us have been banging on to our governments about for years. And we'll continue to do so. We have to. But there's one other thing in it it's the Greek the the, um, the Hebrew says uh, translated into English, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord. Now, we often read you shall. In other words, you must, you will, you are required to by law. But actually, it's not an imperative. The only imperative in this text is here. And of course, Mark's gospel and all the others are full of this. If you have ears here, you can hear Jesus saying, listen up, pay attention. This is important. You've got to hear this. If you don't hear this, if you just let this go over your head, you'll miss everything that's going on. It's constantly on about. And I think he takes it from verses like this. Hear, O Israel. That's the imperative. But when it says you shall love, it doesn't mean you must. It means you will. This is what will happen. If you take hydrogen and oxygen in the right parts and put them together, you shall have water. Not you may or you should, just will. That's just what will happen. If we hear the oneness of everything, and we hear it deeply in our bodies, 
in our minds, in all the bits that we think are disconnected from each other but are actually one. If we hear that, then it turns out we will live in love. We just will. You shall. It just will happen. We will live justly because we will realise that the person on the other side of the planet, the person on the other side of the street, the trees between us on the street are all so deeply interconnected that we will just live in that oneness. So that's that. We didn't need any of that. We just needed here, O Israel, here, O Australia, here, O Paul, Clayton Wesley, Beulah Park, wherever. Here, everything is one.